I heard someone once describe uh, the fruit of the Spirit like a, a bouquet of flowers. You know, each one is, is, is lovely in its own right, but when it comes together, it's just beautiful. And that's what we, we want to be like as Christians, have this bouquet of wonderful fruit that we display um, because of our Lord Jesus. So today you're going to look a bit, a bit more closely at, like I said, two of those uh, flowers, in goodness and faithfulness. And let's just start with, with goodness first. And I think goodness is perhaps, in a way, the hardest fruit, I think, to define. If you go through all those things, we could probably picture what it looks like to do those things. But goodness is such a broad term, isn't it? What does it mean to be good? And I think it's, it's really hard to pin down because, ultimately, the world around us probably can't even really decide what being good actually means and what it looks like. In the gangster movie uh, Goodfellas, the main character is narrating and they say that they used to call each other good fellas. Hey, you're going to like this guy. He's all right. He's a good fella. You know, he's one of us. Is that what goodness is? Is goodness about how other people see us? If someone thinks we are good, is that what makes us good? Or in the film, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the title refers to three different characters. And Clint Eastwood's character is, is the good. But if you watch the film, actually, he's ruthless, he's selfish, he's quite greedy. But he's just better than the other two. He's not as bad as the bad or as ugly as the ugly. Is that what good is? It's just like a comparative thing. So long as we're, not as, as long as we're more good than others, as long as we're not as bad as someone else, that's what makes us good. Is that what good is? Or in the film Goodwill Hunting, if you've seen that, Matt Damon, his character goes on like a personal journey to find satisfaction and fulfillment and closure in different areas of his life with the help of Robin Williams' character. Is that what goodness is? Is it like a personal journey? Is it something that we discover within us, un unlock this kind of personal inward thing? Is that what good is? See, the world can't really decide what good actually is. If we try and pin it down, you'll probably hear 10 different answers from 10 different people. And I think when things get confusing, when we're not sure what this means, I think there's one place we want to go, isn't it? Well, that's the Word of God. We want to look at what the Bible tells us goodness is. Because, you see, it doesn't matter what the world says goodness is. It doesn't matter what we think goodness is. What matters is what, what God thinks goodness is. And we see that almost immediately in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. We see, don't we, that when we create the world, after each day, what does he say? He says, and God saw that it was good. On the final days, he says it was very good. This idea of good is built in at the very beginning. God created everything, and he says it's good. That tells us, doesn't it, that God is the one who defines what is good. He created the world and he says that is good. It's not us who defines it. It's not social media. It's not what politicians tell us or what we see in movies. It's defined by God. So if we want to show true goodness, if we want a biblical understanding of goodness, we have to, we have to seek what God says it is. We have to seek what the Bible tells us it is. So what is that definition then? If we want true biblical goodness, and there are just a couple of things I want to touch on today that I think biblical goodness means. And the first thing is that I believe goodness, biblical goodness, is an action. It's an action. You have to do something to be good. 
You know, some of the fruit of the Spirit that we read about before, like joy or peace, are quite an internal thing. They're like an attitude, and you may see expressions of that, but it's very much an attitude thing. However, the fruit of goodness, I think, is something that can only really be expressed externally to ourselves. It's an internal thing, but it has to be externalized. We see this in the same letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church, just another chapter beyond this. So not long after he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he goes on to say in Galatians 6, 9 to 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Goodness, being good, is a doing thing. It's an action. As described in the Bible, we need to, we need to exercise that externally to ourselves. You know, some, some fruits as well, like patience or self-control, may be in a decision not to act, but goodness is something we have to do. And in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he encourages the church to walk as children of light. That, that means, you know, it's like a capital L, light. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So goodness, goodness is about doing something. And it's about doing something in the way that Jesus calls us to do something. It's following the example of Jesus or following an example of the light. It's like bringing light to a dark world. That's what goodness is. If you're not sure how, how, that, how that looks, then it's about bringing light to the darkness around us. So goodness could be an encouraging word to someone you know who's struggling. It could be a monetary gift to someone in need. It could be taking the time to text or call or visit that person you know is incredibly lonely. It could be serving your spouse or your friend or, or the church, even when it's tough and you're tired. Goodness could be seeking reconciliation with someone who's wronged you. It's about bringing light to the dark world that we live in. So make no mistake, goodness is an action. If you want to be good, if you want to show the fruit of goodness, you have to do something. Now, you might think goodness at this point sounds awfully a lot like kindness, and there's definitely a lot of overlap between those things. But I think the second thing that defines goodness, yes, it's an action, but the second thing I think that separates goodness from, from kindness is that being good has an edge to it. That, that goodness has an edge to it. Goodness, as described in the Bible, goes hand in hand with righteousness and truth. So let me just read to you from Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 9. It says, Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's an extended version of that verse I mentioned earlier. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Walking as children of light, as children and followers of Christ Jesus, compels us to do what is good and right and true. Ultimately, it has like a moral component to it. Being good is, is a moral factor to it. That's why this teaching so often has that edge to it. it. It provoked people to some degree because there's a moral aspect to what he was saying and doing. And I think the key thing is that the ideas of good and bad, right and wrong, true and not true, these are not popular ideas in the culture we live in today. They're just not. Our world has slowly kind of dismantled this idea that something can be 
can be good. Something could be right or wrong. You know, everything is in shades of gray. That's how often people see things. And that's not completely untrue. You know, we all do good things. We all do not so good things. And that, that does create kind of messiness. But the world's response to that often is to just say, well, then nothing is good. There's no such thing as good. It's all just a matter of perspective. It's all just a matter of um, kind of how you see things and how you want to do things. And it's quite fashionable, I think, these days, isn't it, for people to say, oh, what's, what's your truth? I feel this way. That's my truth. You know, good, right, truth. These are all, in the world, malleable terms that you can just decide. And yet the Bible says it's an objective reality. What is good is what God says is good. It's not what we think is good. It's what God says is good. And some people aren't going to like when we have to say that or put that into practice. Goodness, you know, in this sense could be standing up for that colleague at work who people are gossiping about. People aren't going to like you doing that, but that is good in action. Goodness could be saying no when you know something is not right. It could be challenging someone you know needs a wake-up call in their life. It could be pushing back on something that you know just flies in the face of what God says is good. It could be proclaiming the gospel to someone even when it might cost you. That's what being good means, and it might challenge people because what you're saying to them is that there is a right and there is a wrong. And by the things you do or the things you say, that may rub people the wrong way. That's not to say that being good means calling out every wrong that there is in the world. You know, I don't think as Christians that we're, we're called to, um, to necessarily do that. You know, I think it's good to convict people and challenge people. But we all know those people who perhaps, you know, every word out of their mouth is sin, sin, sin. And yet you never hear grace. You never sort of feel the fruit of goodness or kindness um, in, in from their lips. Um, you know, by bringing, we are supposed to bring light into the world, but that doesn't mean that all we do is point out the darkness. You know, we're bringing light and then people see that the darkness around them. People still won't like that. You know, they won't like the fact that they see things as they are. And goodness, like many fruit, is, of course, incredibly attractive to people. You know, like light in the dark rooms or drawing in moths. People are drawn to it. It says that in Acts 2 when it talks about the early church and how they grew in number because people were seeing all the good they were doing to one another. So don't get me wrong. Goodness is a very attractive thing at times. If you're looking to do good, don't be surprised if it may rub some people the wrong way. Don't be surprised if at times it may lead to awkward conversations or, or even heated disagreements. Or may lead to even further consequences in, in your job or at home if people don't like what you do or what you say. You know, the world wants to constantly redefine what good is. But as Christians, our starting point is that good is an objective reality that God has defined, not you or I. So good has a bit of an edge to it as well. Goodness does. But let me just give you a kind of a practical challenge before we move on to faithfulness. Just a practical thing, which is if you're sitting here going, well, I don't know how to kind of grow in this area. How do I start growing in goodness? Let me just go back to that passage again in Galatians 6, verse 10. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. So do good to everyone. Doing good is important. But it says especially to those in the church. Right? Start in the church. If you want to make a difference in the world, start here. Start with your immediate family and your spiritual family. It's not to say you don't do good elsewhere as well. 
But you hear so many stories, don't you, of great historical figures who did amazing good in the world, and yet in their personal life, it cost them friendships, it cost them like their, their spouse or their children's relationships. And that's, that's not what the Bible calls us to do. It calls us to be good, especially starting with those around us. So if you're not sure, how do I do good? Don't just start thinking about how you can go out there. Start here. Start with those right next to you right now. Start with those around you. That's where we can practice being good. That's where we can, we, we, we can make those mistakes or we can we try things out, but we can do it here. We can do this within the church. That's what the Bible says, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And a great example of this was recently we had um, our third baby. And when we have a baby in Hope Church, one of the things is if you're part of the, the, the church family um, is we do what's called a meal train. And that is that uh, someone sets, sets up like a website and people who, who are close to you sign up uh, to, to commit to give, bringing you a meal. And so for like a week or two, we had people coming to our house every night, different people from the church, just bringing us a meal, just saving us that kind of cooking uh, we had to do in that more sort of challenging um, early days of lack of sleep and all of that, um, which is still going on now, got to be honest. Um, but, but yeah, it's just a wonderful example, isn't it, of that, of that idea of doing good, especially to those in the household of faith. A really practical thing that we can do for one another. So if you aren't sure where to start about being good, just think about what can you do here at Hope Church? What can you do with your immediate family or your spiritual church family? So I want to move, move on now to faithfulness. We've touched a lot on what's, what, what being good means and sort of unpacking that. But let's talk a bit more about faithfulness now. Now, faithfulness, I think, is a little bit easier to define than goodness. Goodness, I think, it's a bit of a challenge to dig into what that means and what that looks like because it's just so broad. I think the world would agree to a degree with what we would call faithfulness. But again, we need to go back, as always, to the source of faithfulness. That is what we see in God's word. And particularly, I think, the key is looking at God's character. Because you see over and over and over again in Scripture that, that God is called faithful. So let's see what that looks like. Um, I've got three quick verses I just want to read to you just to uh, demonstrate this. So Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Or Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Or finally, Exodus 34, 6, you can see that, that God is described as being abounding in love and, and faithfulness. So God is described as being faithful over and over and over again, and I think the meaning is quite clear when you look at the passages and you read about what it means when God is faithful. It's that God is trustworthy. You know, his compassions never fail, it says. He's consistent. It says they're new every morning. And it means he keeps his promises. You know, it talks about him keeping his covenant with his people. That's what being faithful means when we look at God. And so just as we see in God's character in the Old Testament, um, or in the person of Jesus, perfectly demonstrated in the New Testament, God's, God's faithfulness to all humanity. So we too are, are called to show faithfulness. Faithfulness to, to God, first and foremost, and to one another. We show this by emulating those things, by being honest, by being trustworthy, by being consistent and dependable. All of these things we see 
in the character of God. We're to be trustworthy because our God is the God who keeps promises. We're to be consistent because our God is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are to be dependable because just as God is our rock in troubled times, we are to display that and sort of mirror that to other people. And again, just a couple of things I want to highlight about what biblical faithfulness looks like. You know, again, I think the world would, would go to a certain point, but let's just dig into what biblical faithfulness, I think, looks like. Firstly, biblical faithfulness calls us to go far above and beyond what the world would say. Far above and beyond. I think in the culture we live in today, we're often very transactional. So that what can I get out of this we have our relationships and our interactions often become more and more about, about what we can get, and more and more about sort of short-term and immediate satisfaction, and less and less about kind of real deep commitment or connection. You know, we're living in a, a Snapchat, TikTok generation where instant gratification is key. If you aren't constantly entertained or interested or stimulated, you know, by YouTube or Netflix or whatever it is, then there's something wrong. We need to constantly be seeking something, and if it's not if it's not doing it for us, then we move on. And I can see the appeal of this. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely caught up in that. I love watching stuff on, on, on YouTube or, or Netflix or whatever. But if that mindset becomes embedded, if that mindset that immediacy becomes embedded, then it becomes the death of faithfulness. You know, the world says faithfulness is sticking at something only as long as it makes you happy, only as long as you feel fulfilled and satisfied, only as long as you're getting something out of it. The Bible's picture of faithfulness goes so far beyond that. And that's the kind of faithfulness that we want to display as, as the fruit in our lives. An amazing picture of this is in the book of Hosea. And we could do an entire series in the book of Hosea. It's really interesting. But um, we read the prophet Hosea, who God uh, calls to marry Goma, a prostitute. And we don't know if, if Goma was a prostitute before they got married or, or, or after. But as you can imagine in the story, um, Goma is unfaithful to Hosea. And yet Hosea, uh, yet God tells Hosea to, to return to Goma and to remain faithful to her. And he uses this as a picture of God's relationship to his people Israel. So let me just quickly read you just one verse from chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, that is Hosea, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. So they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I don't know why that last line makes me laugh. That's the, the sacred raisin cakes. It must be pretty good raisin cakes. Um, <laughs> but there's plenty more to that story. And there's, you know, again, you could do a whole series in it. But I just wanted to focus in on that because it's just such a great picture of what biblical faithfulness is compared to what other people may say. The world may say faithfulness is predicated on equal treatment, you know, on being treated fairly and having all these conditions. You do this, and then I'll do this, and you do this, and then mutually everyone's fine. But as soon as that kind of breaks down, we're done. But God says that's not what faithfulness is. In fact, if we applied the world's definition of faithfulness to God, then God would have given up on us long ago. Because none of us can say that we treat God the way he deserves. None of us can say we treat God with any level of fairness. Every rule or condition that is laid, laid before us, we break. And that, there's no equality in that relationship. We owe God everything, and he owes us nothing. And yet, he made a commitment to us. He was faithful to us, and that's perfectly demonstrated in Jesus dying for us on the cross. So we can't apply the world's faithfulness because 
the biblical definition of faithfulness is so far above and beyond. That's why when you read about marriage in the Bible, it's taken so seriously. There are really harsh words, isn't it, about, 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 about marriages ending. That's because, it's, that's because it's a picture. It's described as a picture of God's relationship between us and him, between the church and God. So when people say, you know, oh, you know, if you ask why, why, why the marriage ended and people say things like, oh, the spark had gone. Oh, you're not the same person that I married. When we, when we think, when we hear those things and we see it as a picture of God and the church, we can see those things as the kind of like frivolous things that they are. Those, those reasons just don't cut it when we're talking about true faithfulness. I heard someone once say something actually quite helpful about marriage. Um, which was basically that when you say those vows, you're not just committing to stay faithful to that person in front of you. You're being faithful to every person that they become. You're being faithful to tens or even hundreds of people because the person I am now is not the same person that Katrina married eight and a half years ago. And I don't know if, if she'd met me now, would she have married me? I don't know. We don't know. I hope so, but we don't know. But she's committed to me. She's committed to the me then, but the me now and the me in the future. Faithfulness is not about trying to sort of figuring out are things, are things going as we want them to go? Are things going in this way or that way? A culture might say, oh, if they're not the same person, well, maybe the, the commitment doesn't apply anymore. But true biblical faithfulness calls us to keep our promises, to keep our integrity and remain honest, even when we don't get the same treatment back. And there's a whole... There's a whole thing you could do about kind of marriage and kind of how that looks and kind of would would there be any reasons to break a marriage? I'm not going to get into all of that now. But that is kind of a key thing we see in the Bible. It talks about faithfulness. An amazing picture is marriage. And we all, whether we're married or not, can, can think of things, think of ways we can be faithful, have integrity, be honest. Second thing about biblical faithfulness I just want to highlight is that I think it's the key to spiritual growth. If you want to grow spiritually, you really have to try and nail faithfulness. If you want to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, in love, in joy, in kindness, well, how do we do that? We do that by putting it into practice. You don't just do it once, right? You don't just do one, one kind thing and then, you, like, like a video game, you level up and suddenly you're a better, you know, more kind person. You've got to keep at it. You've got to keep doing it. Keep doing it. The same if you want to be loving or kind. If you want to have joy, you've got to work on that. See, these are all things that you have to be faithful in. You have to be faithful in being kind, faithful in being patient. You have to commit to continue to pursue love, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. And that is to be faithful, isn't it? Making that commitment. That's where we all need to show our faithfulness to the calling God has on our lives. And equally, if you want to grow in your prayer life, if you want to grow in your understanding of God's word, if you want to build good relationships with people in your small group at church, you have to put in the time, the effort. You have to commit. You have to be faithful. In some ways, I think if you get faithfulness right, then it kind of has a knock-on effect to everything that's going on in your spiritual life and your spiritual journey. So I think faithfulness is key to spiritual growth. And again, just to get a bit more, I guess, practical or to kind of just challenge us a little bit, make us think about something we may not have thought of here. I think one challenge for us, I think, is just to be faithful to the right things. Now, it may sound obvious, but faithfulness doesn't mean making lots of promises. More faithfulness doesn't mean more promises. 
You know, goodness might mean, I guess, every opportunity to do good, to be that light in the world. Being faithful doesn't just mean constantly committing to things. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 to 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. But it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. See, what God is concerned with when we make commitments is that we honor those. You know, you might call it quality over quantity. So many of us overpromise and underdeliver, don't we? And I think that's especially challenging in church because I think as, as Christians, we often feel like we should say yes to things. And sort of want to be kind, to be, to, be, to be nice to people. We say yes to so many things. And yet I think more, more often than not, that's actually counterproductive. The more things we say yes to, the less things we're actually going to be able to fulfill to fruition. We want to be kind. We want to be nice. But the wise choice often is to say no. Most of us here probably need to say no to more things rather than say yes. You know, a lot of good intentions I've seen have led people to feeling hurt and let down, particularly in the church, because there's so many commitments made. Actually, actually, when you look at the Bible, when you see what's, what's said, often it actually speaks against making too many commitments. You find it in the words of Jesus in Matthew and also um, in the book of James. It's reiterated to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Basically, if you're going to do something, you don't have to make grand promises. Just do it. But if you're not, just say no. <laughs> do it or don't do it. But don't, just don't commit to everything you can. Don't try and please everyone. That's not what faithfulness is. Be honest with yourself about what you can actually commit to. And another way, not only do we have to avoid over-promising when we can't deliver, we also need to exercise, I think, wisdom and discernment to make sure that those things we are committing to are actually healthy things. Because just as being healthy in spiritual practices will create growth in those areas, I do believe that, but if we are faithful and committed to unhealthy things, those things will grow as well. You know, faithful in and of itself, faithfulness, is not necessarily just going to be a good thing. You know, faithfulness is one of those things that works alongside all the other fruit of the Spirit. Like I was saying, it's like a, it's like a bouquet of flowers. It's like a package deal. Faithfulness in and of itself isn't necessarily good. You know, there might be unhealthy relationships that you're being faithful to that actually you shouldn't be. There are actually maybe there are practices that you're doing when you're working late every night, every night, every night, trying to be faithful to your job, but you're, it's costing relationships at home. Faithfulness in and of itself isn't just a good thing. It needs to be alongside all the fruit of the Spirit to be effective and to be healthy. It's a package deal. Faithfulness working in tandem with them, it will grow and blossom and bloom, I think, many of the other spiritual uh, spirit, fruits of the Spirit. So I'm just going to wrap up there. There's a lot, there's a lot there. And we're covering a lot in a kind of a short space of time, but I just want to kind of reiterate some of the things I've talked about today, about goodness and about faithfulness. Thinking about being good, two things. One, biblical goodness is an action. When we emulate Christ in bringing light to a dark world, that's about acting in the world. And two, biblical goodness has an edge to it because we believe that good is an objective reality. God defines what is good, not us. And some people aren't going to like that. 